answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my prayer for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come, all the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God. With all my heart, I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength on behalf of your servant. Save me because I serve you just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness, that my enemies may see it and be put to shame for you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Thank you. That's a great psalm of just pouring your heart out to God and being honest to God. And I want to talk tonight about uh, how to maintain priorities under pressure. How to maintain priorities under pressure? I suppose the underlying question is this. Uh, are you living under priority or are you living under pressures? How do you feel about your life now? Are you living under priorities or do you feel your life is really just living under the pressures? Now we're going to do roving mic. We're going to do a few little roving mic things happening here. I'll be roving mic number one. Roving Mike is, what kind of the major pressures do you feel that you're under? Actually, we'll just do a yell out thing. We're just going to, it's not going to go on tape, I don't think. Major pressures that are happening in your life that you think, wow, these are the big ticket pressures in my life. These are the things that really I feel oppress me down. Now, I'm looking at you group of people, so I'm going to have a couple of answers from this part of the congregation tonight. Big pressures. Work. Work. Uni. Very large essays. Bible college essays? I'm about $100 an essay if you want to look that up. <laughs> no, I put that online and Dr. Peter Bolt just went straight at me and, you know, I got in big trouble from Dr. Peter Bolt from our church. You bad, bad and all that stuff. I didn't mean it. For the tape, I certainly didn't mean it. Okay. 
All right, so what's some other pressures over here? What are some other major pressures that you that you find that you're trying to live under and you're struggling with pressures and priorities? What are some of the pressures? Grandchildren. <laughs> well, you have a you have a quiver load of them, David. This is you know, but you have a plethora of them. How many have you got? Nine. Nine. Pray for that man. You know. Uh, when I talk about laying hands on him, you may need to land, lay hands on some of these grandchildren and get them in line. Grandchildren, yes. Other things. Family. Family. Mm. went. Mm. Mm. Other ones. Health, yeah, yeah. And regardless of age, there can be health issues that crop out, crop up, and can be quite significant. Any other pressures? Money pressures. If you aren't, if you've got a pressure of money in your back pocket, just give it to me and let me help you relieve some of that pressure in Jesus' name. Other things that are might a couple of other pressures. Any other pressures? Relationships, huge one. Relationships are a huge pressure. One more, anyone? Cooking. 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 Pressure cooking. We did slow cooking this week, and I just want to tell you, it was like hugely successful. Shelley will give you a great chicken recipe for slow cooking. Then you just put it on and then turn up. Ah, oh, it's a miracle. Look, Jesus, this dinner. How did that happen? You go to work, come back. Oh, we've been provided for. Awesome. Okay, so some of those kind of pressures. Now, one of the things that I, a long time ago, I came across a document that has changed the way that I understand handing pressure. And I've kept a hold of it and it's online, it's freely available. I've also put down, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40 copies of it down the front and it's got a really bad graphic on the front. That shows you how old it is. It's like an Ant-Man graphic. And on the front of this, it's called Tyranny of the Urgent. It goes way back to about 1994 when apparently it was written. But he talks about we live life under the urgency. There's so much pressure on us for the urgent. Get it done. Get the assignment done, for instance. Uh, and we live under this, this tyranny, this rulership, this dictatorship of urgent pressures. And no more than one sort of set of urgent pressures has subsided and it's replaced by another set. How do we live to honour God under a tyranny of this urgent? Just going to read just a couple of paragraphs and there's copies for you to take home and really digest it. So just a couple of paragraphs. Have you ever wished that there were 30 hours in a day? Mm. How many people? Yes. Surely the extra time would relieve the tremendous pressure under which we live. Our lives leave a trail of unfinished tasks, unanswered emails, unvisited friends, unread books. They haunt our quiet moments. And and when we stop to evaluate what we have accomplished, uh, we desperately need a sense of relief. But would that longer day solve our problems Mm. right down the bottom of page one we realize that we've become slaves to the tyranny or the dictatorship of the urgent is there any escape from this pattern of living the answer lies in the life of our lord the answer lies in the life of our lord one night 
before Jesus died, Jesus made an astonishing claim. In his great prayer of John 17, he said to his father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Verse 4. We wonder how Jesus could have talked about a completed work. He had a three-year ministry. On many occasions, further down in the next paragraph on page 2, on many occasions, Jesus declared that he did not come to carry out his own plans. I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I do nothing on my own, but speak what the Father has taught me. I always do what pleases him. I wonder if that's part of our problem, is that we're trying to please too many masters. Yet Jesus' life was never feverish. He always had time for people. He could spend hours talking with one person, such as the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. His life showed a wonderful balance of the sense of timing. On one occasion, his brothers urged him to go to Judea. Jesus replied, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. What's the secret of Jesus' ministry? Halfway down page two, we discover a clue in Mark's gospel of what happened after a very busy day of teaching and healing, uh, which we first noted very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house. He went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He prayerfully waited for the Father's instructions. Jesus had no divinely drawn blueprint or schedule. He discerned the Father's will on a day-to-day basis in a life of prayer. Because of this, he was able to resist the urgent demands of others and do what was really important. Are we doing what's just urgent? Or are we doing what's truly important in life? Jesus is the example of doing what's ultimately important. Um, Here's some keys from the article that I gleaned out of it. Let me just turn this little duvalaki on. On we go. Okay, you still have to read the article, but this is some of the things that occurred to me. Six keys. We We see that Jesus is never rushed. He's never frantic. He's never rushed and he's never... Do you notice that with Jesus? He's even in control in his trial. Even as they put all this stuff on him, Jesus is the one in the courtroom of the Sanhedrin. He's the one that's in control. His responses to those, the governors, show that he's never frantic, even in the most pressured of circumstances. He had time for the individual and time for the crowd. He had time to build into close friendships that, you know... These lasted a lifetime. They went on beyond. You could see that in his disciples, they drew close to him. They loved him. They carried on the work of Jesus. He found time to rest. He found time to pray. And he found time to plan the things that God wanted him to do and carry those out. He did all that he came to do. And he did it all in three years. He gave us a whole new code for living. He came to save the world. 
He came to change history. And here he was in a completely non-technological environment. Jesus came down and in three years he did the will of God. He's changed global history and he's changed your life and my life. That's because he lived under the priorities of God, not the pressures of the moment and the tyranny of time. He understood what was important and he committed himself to do those things. That's the way that Jesus lived. And he did it all in just 24 hours each day. So that in three short years and and having the same amount of time in every day that you and I have got. Jesus never had any more time in the day. Plus he did his ministry with an entourage of people that would have buffered him for his own personal space. And he still did that. I believe that if we follow the priority setting principles of Jesus Christ in our life, we can live knowing that we can live under the priorities of God and do and have the kind of life that God wants us to live. But we need to seek his will and his principles in that. And I want to flesh out some practical things about this. Let's go on. So do you live under pressure or under priorities? Where do we start? Where do we start? Well, I think the whole beginning of the Christian life needs to be... We've really got to start at some very fundamental basics. And I think this is where a lot of Christian lives go wrong. I'm utterly convinced that we don't start our Christian journey with Jesus in the right place whatsoever. We start it on some other basis. When Jesus was... uh, was talking to people in verse 33 of Matthew's gospel. He said, but seek. And, and the, the, these were, he was talking about pressures. He was talking about the pressures for food, the pressures for clothing, the pressures about what's going to happen tomorrow and all these kinds of things. He's talking about the things, worries about life. Therefore, do not worry about life, about eating and drinking and, and food. Glory to God, word for you. And food and clothes and all those things. Then he speaks about the character of God that when we do his will, he provides for us those things. And then he he comes in at verse 33 with a life-changing priority message. And he says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That means the kingship of Jesus in your life. I tell you this, the way to live the life that Christ wants you to live is to make Jesus the king of your daily experience and in decisions. And then he says, and all these other things that you worry about, they're going to be added to you. God's going to look after you. Trust God with those things, but get on with God's will. And that's when we see uh, over in Luke, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus wrestling with that. I believe that the key to living a life under Jesus' priorities is a yielded life. I've got to ask, have you yielded every area of your life to the kingship of Christ? And so that he becomes your Lord in every daily situation. As we do that, it makes decision making very simple. It makes the way that we value things very clear. The confusion is lifted. We say, Jesus, what, what do you want? What are your, what is your priorities? How, how does that, how does that translate into my life? Uh, a couple of things, you know, just occurred to me that might be applicable to the, to this evening congregation. Areas of my life. Is your dating life and your attraction to other people, have you brought that under the lordship of Jesus? 
Have you brought that under the Lordship of Jesus? Have you prayed about that? If you're in a relationship, have you brought the physical nature of your relationship, the intimacy part of your relationship? Have you laid that before God and said, your Lord, what, what, how should we conduct ourselves? Show us what the limitations are because we're not yet married. What will that look like? And seeking the will of God about the nature of the physical relationship you've got, that you've got with somebody when you're going out with them before you are married to them. Is Jesus Lord of that space? Is Jesus Lord of this space? Have you, have you prayed about? Have you prayed about your finances? Have you prayed? Is Jesus the Lord about what you, how much you give and sow into the kingdom of God, both in this church and through this church and in other places? Have you prayed about it? Have you said, King Jesus, how should I manage my finances? How should I honor God? What are the principles that I need to bring into my life to honor God with my finances? A lot of young people have to try to somehow scramble and play catch up. And I just want to encourage you to honor God in those things because God will look after you in that space when we honor him. Uh, God won't leave us short in that. And being weekly in worship, I, I so love that you're here this. But the Bible says, please don't give up the habit of meeting together. The Bible describes what we should do as we gather together as habitual. Hebrews 10.25, make it habitual. Don't give up the habit of meeting together. And so we've got to ask ourselves, if Jesus is our king, would I describe my commitment to those other people that I gather with as believers as totally habitual? Are you habitual in your worship? We need to be habitual in our worship because Jesus is our king. And I had a long discussion with Tom about, I think it was, with why we meet for worship and poor old Tom was probably trying probably trying to throw himself into reverse gear. And when I get wound up, uh, it just doesn't matter if Tom's going backwards, I'm going forwards. It doesn't matter, does it, Tom? I get so wound up, don't I, mate? And Tom's probably going, I've got to go somewhere like the toilet or anywhere. And I, I'm just feeling the Spirit of God on me and I'm going like that because I found, I, I'm absolutely passionate about it. And I know, Tom, I'm passionate about it. We need to be committed to each other. And that's what Damien was talking about, being involved in life groups where we build each other up. We've got to be committed to each other in relationships committed to the people and the community of Christ because he's our Lord. We're committed in that space. He's the Lord of our life. So we come and gather because he's king. We should worship him. He deserves it. But we're his body. We come here to build each one another up in love and to encourage each other and to spur each other on to love and to good works, the scripture tells us. And to speak out about those things, and I'm so glad to hear that in my absence, this church tackled some tough stuff like human trafficking. I thought that was absolutely awesome. Here's some other disciplines, I think, that will help us create the right kind of rhythms. Developing the rhythms to beat the rat race. Well, these are some of the things that occurred to me as rhythms. I think, and that's why we had Psalm number one read to us, the great rhythm of a devotional life, a devotional life, where we, we take time out very, very regularly to sit before the word of God and, and to share. And that Psalm that we read, the, the longer Psalm was about pouring our hearts out to God and sharing with him. Now you live in the easiest age ever in human history to have the word of God at your fingertips. Never in human history 
has an age ever been so blessed to have the word of God? You've got it in your pocket. You've got it in your phone. I've got an app and it sends me my reading for the day. How about that? I don't even know, you know, I don't even need to know where I'm up to. But apparently, I used to have it at six o'clock in the morning, and of course, it just used to like irritate me and wake me up. Then I'd feel guilty and go to the gym, even if I didn't want to. And then it, 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 it will tell you. You can get, it says, do you want to start a plan? Do you want to start a different plan? Do you want to start a new plan? Then it will tell you who else is doing plans. Guy Collishaw is never out of the Bible. Every time apparently he's going to, to work on the train, Guy Collishaw has finished another quiet time. I go, oh, good old Guy Collishaw, he's awesome. You know, apparently he's a man of the word. Praise the Lord. Makes me feel guilty. He's like 10 times more devoted than me. I don't know what's going on out there. But friends, the word of God is in the palm of your hand in whatever translation you want and it's got all these devotional aids. Are you getting it in your life? Are you soaking in the word of God? Is it training your very inner being? These are the things as we live under the priorities of the word of God, we have an incredible devotional life. And then we learn to pray like the psalmist prayed and pour our heart out to God. And we have fellowship with one another, habitual fellowship, both in larger groups and smaller groups and catching up with each other during the week. And we worship together. Worship's got kind of two ideas, I think, in the scriptures, where we gather together as a corporate group because God deserves our adoration and praise. Hallelujah. And we're so blessed to have such great leadership in this space. So thanks, Pastor Josh and the team. And we gather together and we worship God together. But you know, the scripture also talks about our true worship is actually a living sacrifice. And this is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Look it up, okay? It talks about our sacrifice, our true worship, is not when we're gathered, but when we're scattered, okay? We're out there and we're living, we're living in in true worship. And it's the way that we sacrifice ourselves out in that space. We're sacrificially Living for Jesus out there. Do you know what? The way you live for Jesus out those doors is as much as your worship is the way that you to get involved in this place. How many people understand that? Our living sacrifice is a worship for God where we make sacrificial decisions out there in the name of Jesus. And the word worship, we show forth the worth of God. That's where it comes from. The worship of God. We show forth the worth of God by the way that we live and by our lips and by our witness out there, we show the love of Christ to others and share his love with them. And so also, we're out there in service. We, we're all a part of the body of Christ. Uh, who's quick? Who's got their phone in their pocket? Who can, who's the first person to get 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10 up and running? Let's see. Let's see how many people have got the Bible app working. Okay, Tom, he knows that I'm looking at him already in anticipation of faith here, Tom. What do we got? This is an important text, everybody. One more time. Each of you should use whatever gift you receive to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Each of you, that means there's no exceptions at all, should use whatever gift you've been given, capacities, spiritual gifts, to serve others. And the reason is because you are God's agent in that space. You are dispensing 
the gifts and the grace of God. You are being the hands and feet and mouth of Jesus on earth as you serve. And the word service and ministry is pretty much the same as we serve each other in that space. I've got to ask you, are you involved in actively serving the Christian body? Because the Bible says that each of you should use whatever gift they have received to serve one another. And we are, and that verse goes on to dispensing the grace of God. So we serve and we also take a rest. We say, you know, my life is just not work, 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 work. I need to have a rest where I restore my body, I restore my soul, I restore my mind. I take time. It's a biblical principle. You just can't thrash yourself seven days a week on and on and on with, with busyness. We need to have the rhythm of taking time out to restore our body, mind and soul. So I think there's some of the rhythms. How are you going on your rhythms? Those rhythms will help you beat the rat race of life if we maintain them and keep them. Here's some other stuff that just occurred to me. It's slightly less spiritual perhaps, but it's just stuff that I've learned over all my time of living. Here's some other things that I think are some other tips. You ready for Larry's tips about how to live a bit of a a better, more balanced, more prioritized, God-honoring life? I think you need to foster friendships. God wants you in relationships. God's given you some people around you. So in. I'm not much good as a friend. Let me just tell you that. I don't have a lot of friendships, but tomorrow I've got some dear friends who are now in their 50s who I've been friends with since she was in year 11 at high school when I was her youth worker back in 1907, you know, back then, you know, and we're going to go and visit them tomorrow. I just want to encourage you, please foster precious friendships. Don't live life alone. It's healthy. Get sufficiently. I was once at a senior pastor's conference and it's kind of like, oh yeah, sometimes you've got to watch it in these senior pastors. Oh yeah, yeah we've got a million of them. Oh, I've got 40, 40 million in the bank, 50 million at the church, all this kind of stuff. And we're talking about the, the stewardship of our bodies with rest. And one guy just walked straight into the bear trap. He said, oh, I've trained myself to have four hours sleep a night. And I started international missions and other stuff too, by the way, in the time that I've saved sleeping. Four hours a night sleep. I've trained myself in it. You know what he is? He's an idiot. (laughs) He's an idiot. Because that's not stewarding your life. That's not a rhythm (coughs) that's going to to make your life healthy. That's not an admirable state to train yourself in to basically be a sleep-deprived, driven lunatic. That's not the will of God for your life. We need sufficient sleep. We're all different in that space. I need four and a half hours sleep. No, no, no. No, we're all different. There's nothing prescribed. Everybody's biology is different, but you need sufficient sleep. Do we have any grumpy bears who don't get enough sufficient sleep? How many How many grumpy bears have we got out there? How many zombies have we got out there that are basically useless unless they get sufficient sleep? Okay, got a few. Foster friendships, get sufficient sleep, get regular exercise, get regular exercise. I was terrified this week. Had an enormous shock on Monday Monday morning when I was at the gym at 5.45. I thought I saw an aberration. I was just getting ready for the cycle class and doing a few other exercises. It starts at 6 o'clock and lo and behold, I saw Amy Collishaw and Nat Chan walk across the gym floor and I'm thinking, I've actually fainted. Something weird's happening here. I'm going... I'm going, 
oh man, I'm having one of these things where I'm asleep, I'm awake, but I'm actually asleep. Because what are they doing? And there they were going off to some pump class or something like that. So it was just awesome. I want it, it's true, isn't it, Sam? She's some sort of, whoa, I was surprised by that. It was awesome. But I want to say this. Do something that gets your blood pumping several times a week. It doesn't matter if you're walking the dog. doesn't matter if you're throwing the frisbee. It doesn't matter if you're swimming. It doesn't matter if you're at the gym. It doesn't matter if you just go walking and talking with a friend. It doesn't matter if you go by the beach. But do something to look after yourself. Do something to look after yourself. Get some regular exercise. Maintain general health. Don't ignore things that should be taken up to the doctors. Uh, Eat good food. Eat things that are, are nutritious. You know, if you want to get the best out of your body, you've got to put the best into it. I once had in a letter a great teaching. We used to have a great teaching conference at our church every year. It was called the Bodybuilding Conference. That was awesome. Hey, can you get it? The body of Christ, building the body. Yeah, it was an 80s thing. Okay. We used to have the bodybuilding conference and there's this great Pentecostal family from down at Victoria known as the Hills. They used to run... An incredible, the largest Pentecostal church in Victoria at the time. And Bruce Hills, Hills was a fiery little, great Bible teacher, passionate evangelist, and just a wonderful guy. And I said, Bruce, would you come along to our bodybuilding conference and be the keynote speaker? And he said, yeah, if you could, if you can handle it, you know, I'll, I'll come along into that space. And we had other guys like Robert Ferguson and all those kind of crew as well. But he came along and then he was multi-generation, frontline preaching evangelist kind of mission. These are really bare knuckle evangelistic kind of preaching family. His grandfather was a great preacher and church builder. His father was a great builder and, and, and preacher and church builder. And Bruce had the same mantle on him. And Bruce said, I just, I need quiet space to recover after I teach and preach. So just book me in at the local hotel at the bottom of the church street. So he did that. And I said, what else do you do to prepare? Now I'm dealing with this guy. He's like, he's like a full on spirit guy, right? I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to get the mojo here. He's going to tell me how to be a great, a great teacher and preacher. He said, I do what my grandfather did. I do what my father did when he was on mission. I do the same thing. And I've got the pen. I said, what is it? He said, whenever I'm on mission, I only eat vegetables and drink water. My pencil snapped. Isn't that interesting? Because he knew he didn't want his body cluttered up with all stuff. For those times, for the three days, he just went, he went vegetarian. He drank a lot of water. He kept his, he kept his body not completely overloaded with the wrong kinds of things. He went lean. He went, uh, and he, and he went clean in what he did and he preached powerfully. And I'm thinking, wow, isn't it interesting that he, at that stage, that he would just eat, just eat vegetables and just drink water for that time that he's ministering in that because he wanted the best out of himself. And friends, uh, I think I just want to encourage us all to try to get the most out of ourselves in that way, maintaining and eating food and learning to say no. Because sometimes, how many people find it hard to say no when people ask you to do something? Okay, it's hard sometimes to say no. So we need to say no to the things that we should say no to, but yes. Yes, you need to learn to say no, but you need to learn to say yes to the things that God wants you to do. So in conclusion, I just want to say this. Well, we really don't have a time problem. 
the pressure, the tyranny of the urgent. What we actually have is a priority problem. Jesus, in 24 hours a day, in three years, did everything that God wanted him to do because he lived under the priorities of God in his life. I'm going to get you to stand up now. I'm going to pray that you learn to live your life under the priorities of God. Everybody's standing up. The band can come up. Living under the priorities of God. Seeking first his kingdom. Developing rhythms that beat the rat race. Stewarding our health. Living under the priorities that God gives us to live under. Trusting him for the rest. Pleasing only one Lord. Heavenly Father, there are many pressures on our life, but tonight, Lord, from now on, we want to live under the priorities of your kingdom. Lord, we just acknowledge that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we confess you that you are our Lord tonight. And Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would please take over the control of our life completely. Take over every part of it. Help us to acknowledge you in every part of it, Lord Jesus. Help us to make you the Lord in every decision. As we try to navigate the busyness of life and the priorities of life, help us, Heavenly Father, to reverence you in those things. To develop healthy, holy rhythms of life that can take us forward and give us the most optimum life that we can have. And so, Lord, right now we surrender ourselves. We surrender ourselves to your priorities, to your kingdom thinking. Show us what that looks like in our own individual life. So, Heavenly Father, as we as we step out from this place tonight, we want to be, tomorrow morning, we want to be people that say, no, I live under the priorities of Jesus, my King. Because ultimately, in my life, I want to do his will. Not my will be done, but your will be done. And all the other stuff that we worry about, Lord, the heaps of stuff, we just lift that up. We just give it to you. And we say, Lord, you can look after that. But we, Lord, will just go forward honoring you in every area and living under your priorities. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.